make him laugh, make him laugh Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather In the end, you just wanna know that laughing matters From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 Humor makes the world go round You didn't know? It's a fit for a pro Like a roll with spaghetti To keep your culture light when times are heavy So sit back and relax as you raise the bar When it all comes down to the ha 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 Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh Welcome once again to Laughing Matters, a podcast like no other you'll hear ever, anywhere, because we explore the power of humor and laughter in a world that still to this day sorely lacks both. And you'll hear how leaders from all walks of life use humor to take the edge off. I'm your host, Paul Merchant, Senior Vice President of Peppercom. And I'm joined, as always, by Steve Cody, CEO of Peppercom. Afternoon, Steve, to you. How are you? Excellent. Great day for baseball. Let's play two, Paul. Let's play two, and then will the Mets lose two, or how's that going to go? Uh, hopefully, they'll at least split a doubleheader. Okay, all right. That's wishful thinking. But we're going to go ahead and go further down south a bit to the city of Philadelphia. That's where our guest for today hails from. He's a renowned voice in the world of economics and finance. He's the chief economist at Wilmington Trust, which is a part of the M&T Bank family. And he's a member of the Wilmington Trust Investment Advisors Investment Committee. Prior to that, he was an officer and an economic advisor with the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. He has a Ph.D. Doctor of Philosophy in Economics from Temple University and a bachelor's degree in Economics and History from James Madison University. And he is also the former president of the Philadelphia Council for Business Economics, a chapter of the National Association for Business Economics. Please welcome to the Laughing Matters podcast, Luke Tilly. How are you, Luke? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you guys for uh, for having me for this. Well, we appreciate you making the time, Luke, and we wanted to start off. Obviously, you've uh, worked across uh, many, many facets of the financial industry, but wanted to get to know you a little bit more first, asking you first, how do you characterize your own sense of humor? Where do you get it from and how do you use it to approach your daily routines? <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I was thinking about this. I think I think a lot of the sense of humor comes from my dad. He was uh he was a hilarious guy, and he was a, a good old boy from uh, from Oklahoma. That's how he referred to himself, a good old boy. He grew up on a farm, um, and he was just really funny, and he never took anything too seriously, himself too seriously. He was an oil executive, so he was incredibly accomplished after having grown up on a farm, um, but he, he was just a, a funny guy, and and um, it, there's this great, great quote. One time he was on the local, <laughs> he was on the local news uh, for Mega Millions, and he was buying a ticket, you know, so they do these Hey, you know, what are you doing here? And what are you going to spend the money on? And we have it on recording. He'd go, they go to a couple people and they go to him and he'd spend, well, I just, I'd spend about half of it on whiskey and women. And then I would just blow the other half. Oh. And this, this <laughs> aired on TV. It's so funny. And it's like the one example, I mean, his entire life was like that. Uh, right. But it was, it's like the example I can think of where uh, it really sort of comes out as, as what a funny guy he was. And obviously he raised me. So um, so I think that that's where it comes from. Sounds like um, a, a proud, proud son moment for you, Luke. Yeah? <laughs> that's, that's why I recorded it and I can always find it. Yes. Um, do you say my daily routine? I, I think I do the same thing as the same thing as my dad. I, I try not to take myself too seriously and I keep things in perspective. So um you know like a lot like a lot of people uh middle school high school years you spend worrying about what other people think you're trying to wear the right clothes and you're trying to fit in to tell you the truth i see a lot of that in the professional life as well yeah. um and not to say that you know people shouldn't be doing that trying to get ahead or you know just trying to 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 do whatever they think is best but uh i don't know at some point i realized that i just i like being entertained i like entertaining other people i like making people laugh 
and so that's where um, that's where I would, I would go with that, and uh, and just try to keep things in perspective, I guess. Yeah, and since you like making people laugh, I'm sure that's why you chose your profession of chief economist, and that's probably what you wanted to be since you were you were <laughs> little. But I wanted to ask you, maybe some people don't know, what are some humorous or exciting elements about your job that you think others would be surprised to know about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's the the actual uh, job. I mean, just being around people are people. You know, people like to laugh, they like to have fun in the office place. Even when we have very serious work. Um, I think that humor becomes even more important when it could be a pretty intense, um, you know, finance environment with things that go on. Um, but the other part of it is like humor can be extremely effective um, in in my job. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time doing public presentations and, you know, you can really it can be really disarming. You could really humanize yourself to an audience. You know, you start a presentation uh, and there's sort of this natural tension in the room. What is he going to talk about? There's sort of the formality. People hear economics in my in my uh, my bio so many times like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Um, but if you start off with like a little bit of humor, uh, it can really sort of like break down that tension. It invites questions. It makes it more uh, conversational. So, um, it, you know, it's not that there's anything about the job that's inherently funny necessarily, but I think it can be really effective in, in doing the job, um, which is not why I do it, but it's a it's a happy uh, outcome. Hey, Luke, follow up question uh, from from Steve. Um, a, I would have loved to have uh, interviewed your dad. He sounds like he was an amazing guy. <laughs> um, secondly, obviously, you know, part of your job is following the health of the economy. And, uh, you know, depending upon the day of the week, it goes up and down more than my blood pressure does. So in terms of uh, decompressing, what role does does laughter play in helping you either, you know, on a day when the market tanks by a thousand or unexpectedly goes up by a thousand? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's a great question. And I think um, I think it's perspective. Like, I, I really think it's just you know, the, the, the TVs and the shows and everything that's it's kind of driven by um, hysteria or not, not hysteria necessarily, but they want you to keep your eyeballs on the TV. And so by, by their nature, there's going to be a lot of headlines. There's going to be market up. There's going to be market down. Um, and that is very newsworthy on any given day. But if you're looking over the course of a week or a month or a year, it's usually not that um, alarming, I will say. So I think the humor is just is a little bit of uh, just keeping that that perspective uh, when you're in a, an environment that can be incredibly stressful. And then, I mean, my job specifically, from the perspective is, uh, I mean, we're, we're trying, if you're just talking about the U.S. economy, which I focus on primarily, we do international too, but the U.S. economy, it's a $26 trillion economy. People are essentially asking me to predict what, you know, 335 million people are going to do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. And we do have tools that are designed to help us get to that answer. Uh, but sometimes if you stand back, it just kind of seems like a preposterous task <laughs> to begin with. So, uh, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when uh, when a data release comes out and it's a little bit off uh, from what you were expecting, I guess. Yeah, you know, and I think that's something we can all laugh about is that how experts often get things wrong. Not not you, of course, but just in general, right? People get things wrong. And I remember there was this article in the Wall Street Journal that uh, said that we've been expecting a recession for a long time now, but it always seems like it's next six months out, next six months out, and people predict it's coming. And all of a sudden, everybody starts splurging on restaurants and vacations and concerts. So this timeline for a recession everybody's afraid of, is it keeps moving. So I wanted to ask you, where do you think that people find that resiliency to, to go ahead and just kind of live their lives when the future is just so hard to predict. Uh, yeah, it is hard to predict. One of my one of my favorite quotes, uh, my uh, one of my uh, 
graduate school professors told me it was from a, an academic economist who said I forecast not because I can but because I am asked to which uh, I thought was hilarious and for 20 years I've been unable to verify if that's something that this particular person actually said uh, but it's real it's very hard to predict what's going on you know we have good tools as economists that uh, you know if supply goes up then that should help with prices down if demand goes up prices are going to go up but in this you know this question about is there a recession now or or where it is and like where do people find the resiliency um you know it's going to come down to those fundamentals uh, do, do they have yeah. income is there going to be job growth is there going to be wage growth do they have a lot of savings right now and that's what we spend a lot of time um looking at uh but you know at the end of the day we're americans here you know we're consumers if you want to if you want resiliency just uh people are going to go out and uh, and buy which is like in and of itself kind of funny because there's a lot of headlines about how you know people are running out of money and they can't possibly they're not saving for retirement and and then at the same time we're hoping and praying that the american consumer is going to save us by continuing to go out there and spend so it can almost be a um a juxtaposition or or you know almost arguing with yourself there uh, yeah. but it's um it's sort of hard to predict yeah. look uh you know part of the uh the world in which we live and uh try to cope is is striking the work-life balance. And uh, you have a pinned Twitter post with a picture of you, your family that was taken during the, the lockdown in 2020, and you're on the phone <laughs> with a vest as you are today, a powder blue one for our podcast listeners, <laughs> and uh, and a tie up top, but shorts and flip-flops on the bottom. Meanwhile, you have four kids. They're flanking you on all sides with each doing their own hilarious thing. Clearly everyone disrupting each other. Uh, how do you balance you know, an incredibly demanding profession and responsibility with such a cool home life and and what sort of tips if those of us who are trying to be Luke Tilly <laughs> I'm, I'm flattered that you think I have a cool home life I should uh I should stage more pandemic pictures you know that I love that picture it was for a um it was for like a, an office contest of show your your home workspace you're supposed to like take a picture of your desk but of course I I took it way past that um I, I think, um, uh, you know, how do I how do I do it? It's entirely my wife, uh, my family, my support. Um, my wife uh, uh, took it, took leave. And now it's been like 10 years or 12 years from her job. She was a prosecutor for the city of Philadelphia, which was itself an incredibly intense job. But when we started having uh, kids, she um, uh, she took the time off and is still home with them. That was really important. Uh, for me to remember, especially because I had direct reports during the pandemic that did not have a stay at home uh, spouse. And uh, and I don't I don't think I could keep the um, uh, sort of the the sanity during a demanding profession uh, without her. Uh, and then the other thing I do is I exercise a lot. I, uh, I do uh, triathlon. So there's a lot of training. There's a lot of endurance training. So uh, swim, bike and run. Uh, and I think that that helps me just sort of keep a uh, level head. It keeps me on track. Um, it helps me with uh, with ADHD, uh, the, which is something that uh, that uh, causes challenges for me too. So between having a really strong home life and uh, and just making sure that I'm exercising, uh, I think I'm able to keep my sanity. That's awesome, and I appreciate you sharing that, Luke. It's important for you know us to know like exactly how we can overcome challenges right there. And great to know also about your uh, your influences from. Uh, you know, your physical activity. Steve climbs mountains too, so and, you know, Steve, you know all about that. That's uh, helpful for your, uh, you know, letting I, things I, go I, too. Uh, yes, thank you, Paul. <laughs> I'm not a swimmer, Luke. I'm deathly afraid of water, so I've done some some biathlons <laughs> and I've climbed a lot of mountains. But uh, just a, just my backyard pool scares the 
the living heck out of me. You're so afraid of water, you climb mountains. Because every step you take, you're getting farther away from water if you're climbing a mountain. So, right. yeah, good move. Good on. move. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, uh, I want to ask Luca, Luca about the Philly Reserve that you worked at for, you spent six years there. Uh, again, it's probably not the first place that you come to mind when you think about humor. But uh, do you have any surprisingly outrageous or interesting anecdotes from the time you spent there? uh yeah i guess some you know six years at the at the fed there's there's a couple things that i think people on the outside just wouldn't know um one is that everybody inside the fed is a person too just like uh just like all the people on the outside wow. you know, they're, they're 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 one they're incredibly dedicated it's a wonderfully dedicated institution um and there are people they we've got humor there as well or at least we did uh, when i was there um i think one of the most surprising things about working at the fed uh, this is also kind of like a perspective thing is um the cash management and the vault so i think people in our industry they may mostly see monetary policy and that sort of thing that's probably like 10 percent of what the fed does uh but all of the federal reserve banks have these massive vaults underneath them because they're just managing cash for banks you know people they bring in cash and it gets stored and counted there uh but the it's a staggering amount of money that's like underneath each one of these places and i got to go down to the philly uh, vault a few times just to see the operation um, and it actually starts to make you wonder about like the nature of money. Like there's all these little pieces of paper everywhere and like, well, what's standing behind this? And it sort of drives some like real questions of, uh, oh, well, we don't have a gold standard. What does this stuff mean? Like if you just have a big barrel of it, like why is it worth anything? Um, and it's kind of surprising, not just to see that much of the green stuff in one place, but also because it, it really makes you think about uh, sort of the nature of it, which of course is, is an economics topic. Uh, but the, the the Fed was a great place. and. Um, you know, lots of humor. I do the same thing there that I do here in terms of uh, using the humor. Nice. I think um, I think you touched on this in terms of talking about your dad and inheriting your dad's sense of humor. But you know, over the years, you've been consistently interviewed by media outlets and, you know, often bring, uh, you know, keen, sarcastic, self-deprecating sense of humor on national TV. You were once asked what you thought about a financial company's dress policy. And you reply, I can't really comment on that. I sleep in a suit and tie. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> Obviously, that's spontaneous. Um, I assume that just comes naturally uh, again, genetically from your dad. I mean, how do, how do you how do you stay so um, fresh and in the moment? And how do you know when to use humor in answering a what seems to be a very serious question from a financial reporter? <laughs> yeah, it's um. Well, uh, you know, to tell the truth, I've got a, there's a whole lot of jokes that you sort of have at the ready. <laughs> you've got those, you've got those ready to go if the, uh, if the situation is right. And I remember that instance and um, you just, you just have to be quick to the holster when it's time to sort of use the joke. But if you were around me a lot, you would hear the same joke a lot. And it'd also be <laughs> a lot like my dad, but it's, um, it can be it's a little bit like doing the public presentations it can be really disarming it humanizes you it just takes a quick second uh to do that and for a viewer they're probably you know there's sort of like a tv going on and on in the background uh for a lot of people who are watching a show like that but it sort of di directs the attention um and you cannot just leave it at a joke you can't put yourself out, out there as a jokester you have to answer the question afterwards uh, but it sort of, you know, like takes the air out. It, it made the anchors laugh a little bit. And then I answered very seriously about what our company was doing with the dress policy and what we thought was uh, going to be changing. But um, if you, you know, if you time it well, you can you can use it and it can be effective, I think. I, I think we could um, give you some media training work. I mean, some of our clients could use some of your self-deprecating sense of humor in handling their interviews, Luke. 
<laughs> I don't want anybody using my stuff. I mean, if I have something <laughs> unique, I'm Fair keeping enough. it for myself. Great no secrets. No, I get it. I get it. No, Luke, uh, we've got a last question for you. This has been very insightful, so thank you so much um, for all your comments today. But we did want to finalize with the question that we always ask our guests, which is to share your most embarrassing or cringeworthy moment in your career or your personal life that you can look back on and laugh right now. Oh, I am definitely not going to ask cringeworthy or most embarrassing in my personal life. Um, <laughs> answer that. But uh, in the career, you know, I... I and I thought about this and I, I don't I don't can't think of like one particular instance that that is that bad. You know, everybody has embarrassing moments. I will say if you put yourself out there as somebody's gonna tell a joke to a room full of people and sort of sprinkle them through a presentation, some of them are gonna fall flat. Some of them are gonna call fall completely flat, either because of the room, the situation, the way that you deliver it. And uh that can hurt for somebody who really wants to uh, make a, uh, to make people laugh and to sort of entertain them. So those, I, I remember, I, I have the scars from each one of those times that people didn't laugh at my jokes, but I've also learned that if you follow it right back with, wow, I thought that was going to be funny and nobody in this room laughed, everybody starts laughing at that point. So I've learned yeah. even how to deal with that, uh, sort of that, that cringe situation um and hopefully not to, to the detriment of the, the content of the presentation. That, that's, that's a great, example because you know i've performed stand-up comedy many times and i'm always greeted by silence and mm -hmm. i typically do what you just did luke i'll say i know that you thought that was such a cool joke that you're thinking it over before laughing out loud <laughs> so so the, the the fact that you call attention to the silence is absolutely brilliant well, i like that and i'm using that steve i'm going to take that one with me I and like i'll sue brand. you for that i'll sue you for that luke. <laughs> yeah and and although I don't perform uh, stand up like Steve does, uh, Luke, I also have four children, and they always accuse me of making dad jokes. And so I'm often met by the silence or by booze or you know <laughs> any sort of like cat calls or comments that make me feel like I'm just out of touch. So I hear you. I totally feel you. Yeah. Hey, Paul, you've got four kids. I've got four kids. Dad jokes are the only things we're allowed to tell. I mean, we're dads. Like, that's You're what right. we're gonna do. You're right. Yeah, exactly. That's our job. I, I, and as far as cringeworthy and embarrassing, I'm doing my part to do as many cringeworthy and embarrassing things for my kids so they can tell those stories when they get older. So I hear you. Yeah. But uh, hey, Luke, I uh, really appreciate your time today. Uh, love the stories you told us. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll go ahead and sign off and uh, tell our listeners to go ahead and, and look you up and, and see all the, the wonderful things that you do on behalf of Wilmington Trust on the on the financial media and uh they'll, they'll love to see you there but um thank you again for joining us luke appreciate thank it thank you guys so much really enjoyable all right on behalf of laughing matters everyone have a great rest of your day